Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Ever wondered if you can really call yourself an integrative therapist? Today, Jeremy Slaughter is talking to us about his innovative approach to formulation, journey building. Journey building helps us to truly integrate different theoretical approaches into a cogent formulation, something that I've often wondered if I'm actually doing um, when I draw in all the different approaches that I bring into my work. As a member of Do More Than Therapy, I've heard Jeremy talk about this before, and I was really keen to get him onto the podcast to share his own journey from accountancy to psychology to software and the impact he hopes his method and the software he's designed to go with it could have on mental well-being. So before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention that Jeremy is holding a webinar to get feedback on his ideas and an introduction to using the journey building doodles and metaphors on Monday the 14th of September at 1pm. So the details of how you can join the call are in the Do More Than Therapy Facebook group, or you can DM me on Instagram at Rosie Gilderthorpe if you can't find them, and I'll happily send them over to you. So on with the episode. Today, I'm talking to Jeremy Slaughter. Jeremy is an experienced psychologist with a unique approach to therapy that I'm really interested to hear more about. He's also developed an innovative software to support his practice and become a member of the Do More Than Therapy membership a couple of months ago as he grows that side of his work. So, Jeremy, hi, it's lovely to have you here. Hi, Rosie, lovely to speak to you too. So, to get us started, I think it makes sense to talk a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are now. So, where did it all begin? Well, <laughs> it all began, I suppose, around 1984 when I was having um, a bit of a life crisis. Um, I was uh, 23 and I just discovered that I hated accountancy. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I needed to know what to do next. And I tried various different kinds of uh, job. I did a bit of market research. I uh, went into antiques auctioneering for a while. Uh, but at the end of it, I still couldn't find something which uh, felt meaningful to me. And so I went into therapy to try and sort out my problems. And I, I started to realize, actually, you know, what really matters to me is is developing myself and developing other people. And I thought it'd be great to do that as a job. Um, But the more I tried different kinds of therapies, um, the more um, confused I got because different therapists would say, would, you know, you go to psychodynamic therapy and they they talk about your inner conflicts and you go to cognitive behavioral therapists and talk to you about your habits. And, um, and I, went through several different kinds of therapy and I wanted to know how they fitted together. So I thought, well, perhaps if I go back to college and uh, study psychology and then um, get into um, being a clinical psychologist, perhaps then then I'll get the answer and it will all suddenly become clear. And um, unfortunately, as your, your guests may, uh, your, your listeners may, uh, no, it uh, doesn't work out like that. If you go to uh, clinical psychology training, uh, they present you with umpteen different methods of uh, looking at the world, but um, you never get the lecture on the end on how it all fits together. So I 
started to think that it was sort of personal challenge as well as a sort of professional challenge to try and pull this stuff together in my own mind. And I started thinking about, you know, how, how can you pull, pull together so many diverse views? Um, and I don't know whether there was a particular light bulb moment, but at some point I, I realized that all these different um, methods have um, got this, got this using the same metaphors. Yeah. And um, whether you're psychodynamic and you're talking about sort of being weighed down by your superego or you're doing systemic therapy and you're talking about the structure of your family or something else, there's, there's something very um, visuospatial about the way people talk, no matter what their, their orientation of therapy. And it seemed to me, as I got more interested in it, that this was a, a clue, because um, if everybody's using the same metaphors, perhaps we can put all those metaphors together uh, to integrate all these different kinds of therapy. That was my thought. Uh, so meanwhile, I was doing, um, I was doing my uh, clinical psychology. And I have to say, this is a very abbreviated story. We've now got to uh, the year 2000. Uh, from 1984, <laughs> and I, I'm uh, just I'm just under 40, so I'm a very late bloomer in clinical psychology. And I qualify. I work in the NHS, um, but I, I've got this bee in my bonnet about trying to develop this methodology. And um, I find that in the NHS, it was sort of unsatisfactory in the in the sense that um, there was constraints on how I could work. Uh, and what I was supposed to do. And there are also constraints in, as you know, that uh, there's massive waiting lists. And so it can be um, unsatisfying. You know, I'm when imagining seeing... a lot of people nodding at this point. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing somebody who'd been tortured in Iraq and I was only able to see him once a month, you know, uh, because I had so many other people on my waiting list. So um, I thought I need to get out and that will give me a chance to do my thing. and. Um, and to develop my ideas. So I left the NHS in 2004, um, or was it 2008? I think you must know, 2008. And, uh, and since then I've been in private practice and, and building my ideas and sort of building my software really. Mm. So software to help uh, make this all happen. So it sounds like the the methodology that you, you've been working on all this time yeah. is almost like a framework for true integration. Yeah, it, it's meant to be transdisciplinary and trans-theoretical. So um, in brief, the, the sort of underlying, uh, what's the word, foundation of this is in um, an area of philosophy uh, where they deal with embodied cog cognition. The idea that our thoughts, uh, are, even our abstract thoughts, are actually based on um, implicit metaphors which are hidden in um, words in a way that we don't normally notice. Like take the word depression, for example. Yeah. Um, of course, depression has got two meanings, at least two meanings. And it actually means a physical dent in the landscape, yeah, mm. amongst other things. And we forget that. And there are all sorts of other words and um, and sort of 
sayings that we use every day, which, as these philosophers say, indicates that somewhere in our brain, we've got a little map and um, we're sort of plotting um, some process going across this map. Uh, interestingly, um, I was just reading in, in Scientific American only a couple of weeks ago, they're sort of beginning to home in on this map um, for, in some areas. So there is this visuospatial thing which is universal. Um, and um, the other thing that was coming up for me is that I had sort of had enough of the sort of medical analogy um, for therapy. And, you know, obviously I recognize that there's a physiological basis for some problems. But um, as I'm imagining a lot of psychologists will also be thinking that, you know, a medical model tends to be very reductionist and it tends to um, reduce the, the mind to the brain and therefore reduces problems to chemistry and, uh, and therefore it reduces the solution to pharmacology. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I wanted to get beyond that. Um, and I was, I was also very excited by some of the integrative work that's already being done. Yeah. yeah, I think it sounds really needed, though, to pull it all together in some yeah. way, because certainly in my training um, at Salomon's, we were very yeah. pro-integration, but I remember we had one lecture which was about, you know, what's the difference between being eclectic and being integrated? Yes. And the difference was if you're integrating, you have to be doing it with an overarching model of integration. Yeah. You can't just sort of pick and choose from what you want. Yeah, yeah. We all sort of sat there, including some of the staff, I think, thinking, yeah, we're not really integrating, are we? We're kind of just picking and choosing what we want. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. certainly through my career, I have felt that that's more what I do most of the time. I think yeah. there are a couple of models that I'm now experienced enough with that I can truly integrate them. Great. Um, yeah. But it's taken a lot of years to get to yeah. that point. Yeah. Um, and there's some that I think are really beneficial models, but I'm, I'm not at that level yet to integrate it. It's not quite yeah, yeah. theoretically syncing up. Yeah. Um, well, so I mean, this is a problem you were solving. Yeah, I have to say that this is a work in progress for me because um, I, I um, had a look around and just started to make a list of therapies um, a few weeks ago. And there are various sort of compilations of, or lists of various different therapies and you can put together a list of the lists. And I've come to uh, over a thousand so far, yeah. And uh, so integrating all that is uh, obviously a massive task. And I'm hoping to um, work with other people to form this sort of common language, really. And, um, and it's not just a com common language for us therapists, it's also for um, our clients as well. Because um, if we start talking jargon like, you know, countertransference or um, all those other kind of words, then I think we do our clients' heads in, um, <laughs> or even worse, they take a, take away those terms, start using them themselves, and they do their own heads in. So, um, <laughs> yes. so I think I think we need to have some way of communicating um, and being with our clients, um, which is which gets rid of the jargon, and um, just to sort of give you a sort of a little 
taste of what what it is. It's, it, it boils down to a, quite a simple process, actually, when you're in the room with the client. Um, you What you do is you listen to everybody, what they're saying, and then you try and put yourself literally in their shoes. You say, okay, I'm standing in this person's shoes. I'm looking out where they're looking. What do I see? And how does their life look? And then you might say, well, I've got my mum close to me, but my father's quite distant. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going in life, uh, but I'm at a crossroads. Yeah. And I'm feeling um, that um, I'm going uphill all the time. And as I'm carrying a big burden. Yeah. And when I look back at my life, um, I see um, it's been a great disappointment. Yeah. So when people start saying those kind of things to you, then you've it's relatively easy to build up a picture uh, from all this very complicated information about their family system, their goals, their motivation, their um, their their um, emotional state. You know how up or down they feel, um, how stressed they feel. All this complicated information can be um, naturally woven together into a picture which I intuitively get, and I get an emotional response. I think, oh, my goodness, I don't want to be in her, her shoes. Um, and, and then I can start talking to her in a language that she understands. You know, So, for example, you know, if you're at a crossroads and you're holding this enormous burden um, and you don't know where to go, I think if I was in your shoes, I'd say, I think I want to put my burden down so that I can think straight about which way to go you know mm-hmm. and uh, and if my dad is a long way away from me um psychologically would would it be helpful if he could get a bit closer and we could have a chat you know so what happens is that the metaphor because we both use these analogies and metaphors naturally we can naturally come up with um possible um solutions for the problem and they seem they have good face to validity um and hopefully how, yeah if you don't mind asking, i'm just wondering how does that first metaphor get set up is it generated by the client or do you have to help a bit with that process i um i have to say that i normally um i normally say to my client something like but hold on a minute let me get my head around this um and then i'll start saying i'm you okay i'm you and i'm in this situation and then i start repeating back to her or um what she's just said to me trying to use the um metaphors that they you they used because mm, we all know um, what we do don't we yeah um so i don't want to make it up and and present a, a story that doesn't fit with her story um so but um i do probably need to um put it together for her in a way that it makes sense and then of course she can check it out because she say well no my father's not distant he's quite close really it's just that um um he shut the door in my face yeah or something like that so then i might sort of change the picture a bit so that i'm imagining the dad on the other side of the door you know <laughs> or something like that mm. And uh, 
what we can also do with this is we can start drawing uh, scribbling pictures on on paper so that we can um, keep a record of how everything fits together. And I find it's more fun. Um, I don't know about you, Rosie, but when I was training, I was taught how to do all these um, box and line diagrams. Yeah. And um, the better I got at these box and line diagrams, um, the more my patients freaked out, basically. <laughs> because they, were, they would come to me with a simple problem and then uh, I would show them very intelligently how uh, everything was connected and how it was an enormous vicious circle um, that they couldn't get out of. And they would go away feeling more glum than ever. Um, yeah, so, I can relate to that. I was thinking of, I was very proud the first time I was able to draw a vicious flower. Yes. Um, very proud of it. And the client just looked at it and she went, well, that's depressing, isn't it? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, so what, what happens if you draw a, a, a picture um, is that it um, it has some hope in it, yeah? So um, if, I, if I can get your listeners to imagine, what you do is you start with a blank piece of paper. Um, in the middle of it, you draw uh, the client, who's a stick, stick figure for me, yeah? And, um, and then if they're depressed, then I probably put them in a hole, basically. Hole's a good name for a, a depression. And it's, um, it's very useful because as soon as you start thinking about depression as a whole, then what you can think of is, okay, how do I get out of a hole? I need somebody to give me a hand up. I need to have some steps. Um, I need to stop scrabbling. Um, I need to uh, make sure that I've got the energy to climb out of the hole, you know, all that kind of stuff. So you can start talking about that. Mm. Um, and then what you might, might want to do is you might want to stick in a mountain top. Uh, which is where they're headed. You know, perhaps on the top of that mountaintop, they've got uh, a home uh, with a partner and some kids. Yeah. And I normally put a little flag in the top of the mountain with a happy face on it, basically. And then um, you might have uh, various um, lines or wiggly lines, which are pathways from the hole to the mountaintop. And then you might have um, a crossroads if they've got some choices. Um, and you might have um, some hurdles that they've got to get over or obstacles. Um, if they've got OCD, um, then I might put a monster in who's chasing them, basically. Uh, and if they've got um, significant people to help them out, um, then I might stick those in as well. Or I might, I might um, and you know, if they're facing a monster, um, then they might need um some armor basically what would their armor be and what would be their weapons and uh, or if they've got a long way to go what is what are they going to put in their backpack yeah mm. so we can have those kind of conversations and i'm hoping that at the end of that session if they see the picture and remember it they'll be able to work out okay yeah that's how i get out of the hole yeah it makes a lot of sense and those different resources um, that form, you know, the, the things in the backpack or yeah. and the things that they're picking up along the way. I suppose that could be, you know, skills that we might traditionally use in CBT or yeah, absolutely. Other, you know, yeah. systemic interventions, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it seems uh, remarkably, um, what's the word, untechnical, this. Yeah. 
But then um, what you think about is, is that um, all the different kinds of therapies that we use are also using something like these metaphors. They're talking about making progress. Mm. They're talking about, we're talking about um, CBT, we might talk about taking steps. Yeah. If we're talking about psychodynamic therapy, we might talk about opposing forces. Um, we're talking about, uh, you know, in family systems approach, we might be talking about um, an unhealthy um, sort of relationship or ties between one partner and another or uh, severed ties um, between family members. So um, we're actually using the same words and it's just putting them all into one picture, really. Yeah, I think metaphor is so powerful across all different therapies. Yeah. Uh, and you do find the same ones cropping up across the board. And yeah. I've often wondered about how they're embedded within our culture already. Yes. Um, and I, I'm wondering kind of what is your experience of using this technique with people? It's not really a technique, is it? That's the wrong word for it. This approach yeah. um, with people whose culture is, is different to well, mind shared culture. Yeah, well, I think um, I work mainly, I, I work mainly with people who are um, professionals who've been educated to some degree in um, the Western way of thinking. Um, that's why um, they've got the kind of jobs where they can get uh, health insurance um, <laughs> and therefore um, <laughs> come and see me. Uh, but in the past, of course, I was working much more with people in the NHS with um, from cultures who and, and positions which weren't weren't quite so educated. Mm. Um, I would say that they it works better with them to um, draw pictures um, because it's more concrete. But what I would also say is that some people don't like metaphor. Mm. Um, the research shows that some people find it easier than others to think in metaphor. So um, on occasion, only once that I can remember, somebody thought that my, um, my drawings were too simplistic to, <laughs> to describe the problem. And she didn't want to be uh, reduced to a cartoon, as she put it. Um, so, so, yeah, some people don't like it. Um, but I think... Most people get it. Um, yeah. And what struck me as you were talking was that there's the capacity there to adapt the story for whatever feels relevant for that person. Yeah. It might be that there are some people, I'm thinking of a um, particular group of clients that I worked with, where I don't know if they'd have been able to imagine a mountain or, or climbing one. Yeah. But they would there would be something that signified challenge in their life and signified yeah. where they wanted to go. I think the idea of going somewhere um, would have would have come across, and we could have thought of something. Yeah, and I really like that. I think it could be really empowering to yeah. write your own story in that way. One of the things that I have found and, and um, found out quite early on, which is why I chose the name Journey Building, is that actually some people don't want to go anywhere. Um, some people particularly concerned that they want things to stay the way they are mm. and they're really annoyed that things might change and um and 
there are people who don't have any particular ambitions uh, for personal development from, um, or to get far in life. Um, what they're interested in is, is creating something stable. And that's where the buildings uh, side of it comes. Because of course, once you start using a building metaphor, um, you wanting to create something solid, you're putting structures in place, uh, they're protective structures, um, you're getting help to build something, you're gathering resources, um, you're digging foundations, all that kind of stuff, which is all suggested of something uh, that's going to last. Yeah, And I suppose for both of us, or all of us really, we want, we want, most of us want things to get better, and that involves a process of change. But also, we don't want things to get too different. Uh, so we want things to stay the same. So the idea of journeying and building needs to be put together to make a sort of, to balance those two polarities, really. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think it sounds like such an interesting approach. Uh, I can imagine, so I can't really draw. I'm like you, I'm, I'm a stick man kind of a girl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can imagine there's something about co-creation that feels important. Mm. Yeah, and um, and a story that people can tell together, and a story that they can take away and tell to tell to their friends about where they're going, which is which would be great. Um, so what I'm finding is that um, is that there's there are two ways of looking at things. You know, we can look at things from our technical perspective, and we've got all the big words. And, um, and we do need to incorporate that technical understanding into our work. Uh, but then there's an enormous gap between that rather abstract and disembodied cognition and the embodied cognition, um, of, which is more gutsy and is more um, the kind of thing that would get people's heart pumping and get people excited yeah and and i'm trying to bridge that gap and um one of the things that that the journey metaphor suggests is of course that if you're going to make a journey it might be helpful to have a map and so i moved from thinking about the journey to trying to work out what the map would look like and um and eventually i sort of settled on on um, an approach which I'm trying to, um, well, I have turned into what looks a bit like a map of each case. And, um, and that's what I'm trying to put into software at the moment. Yeah. Can I ask a little bit more about this embodied cognition? Because it's not something yeah. I've actually heard of before. Okay. Well, um, what we can say is, is that um, there seems to be a growing amount of research from psychology which seems to support um, what was probably um, thought about more by philosophers earlier. Um, the, um, the research which, which has been done seems to show that um, how people feel in their bodies and where they sit, feel themselves situated in some space um, can affect their cognition. And um, so, for example, 
uh, people respond more warmly um, to um, a questionnaire or an interview if they've got a cup of hot coffee uh, in their hands. And the, the physical warmth seems somehow to be translated into a psychological warmth. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. So there's, um, there's ways in which we use um, our proprioceptive and sensory um, embed, Im, embeddedness in the world to, um, to, to work out abstract concepts. And, and therefore, um, that physically physical feeling, that embodied feeling, uh, has a way to influence our abstract thinking in a way that um, we might be not conscious of, hence the idea of feeling warm when you've got warm hands. And, um, and I suppose, um, from the philosopher's point of view, uh, they're saying that because language is a, started out as communicating with other humans about the location and conditions of physical objects in space. Um, our early language has been adapted uh, or, or sort of built on to think about our more complicated concepts. So when we've got something very complicated to think about, we try and turn it into something physical. Um, so when Einstein was trying to work out what it was like to travel at the speed of light, he sat himself on um, on top of a train that was going at the speed of light, and then he would wondered what it would be like uh, to to see that train from another perspective or to see other things from that perspective. So um, even very complicated concepts, um, if you investigate them, I believe you'll probably find some kind of visuospatial analogy hidden in the wording, and uh, and I think that if we can use that, the way we think, to think about our lives and complicated things like therapy, um, then I think it makes it more understandable to, to the therapist for a start and also to the client, yeah? We're talking about complexity. And the reason why we've got so many theories and we haven't come up with a sort of par central paradigm for psychology is that life is so complicated and human beings are so complicated that no one theory can actually explain everything. Um, so that leads to fragmentation and the sort of partial understanding, mm -hmm. which then leads us to either make mistakes or only give partial solutions. And, um, and so, yeah, so I'm thinking, let's, let's use those simple terms to pull it all together, basically. Yeah, I really like that. And I wonder if, do you remember a few years ago, there was a big um, media fuss about mind palaces and how we could all make ourselves much more intelligent if we utilise this mind palace. Yes, like yeah. Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock yeah, yeah, Holmes yeah. Has, it was in Sherlock, a, a wasn't mind, it? Yeah. And, and then all these articles started popping up about how we could start using mind palaces. Mm. Um, and I gave it a go as a, as a memory trick, you know, putting yeah. things in, in a physical house within my 
uh, mind because I'm notoriously not very good at remembering stuff that doesn't have practical utility for me. Yes. Um, so stuff like the kings and queens of England, I, I haven't got a clue. I know we've got a queen at the moment. <laughs> no, right. about yes. It. yes. Um, <laughs> um, so I had a go before a, before a pub quiz at storing yeah. a few things in in a mind palace. Yeah. And actually, that really worked for me. Imagining kind of walking around and locating yeah, yeah. And places and then going back and going into that room to fetch them. Yeah. That worked. So, yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, face validity, isn't it? But I can Absolutely. imagine that. And the difficulty is when you're trying to map all these different um, theories and aspects of a case is how do you create a mind palace that, or a landscape or a picture that might include it all? And um, what I what I concluded is that um, the way I was going to do it was use the questions that we all tend to ask. So there's a few basic words that when we ask those questions, um, they tell us uh, of somebody, somebody will tell us um, all the information about a particular situation. So if we ask who's involved, um, what what is going on? Uh, where is everything happening, when, um, how did it occur, and why? Yeah, those six questions are, are basic ways of looking at, at the world in different, from different, different aspects of the information that's out there. And once somebody's given us answers to those questions, we can start to put them together into a picture and a story. So once you've got the answer to who's involved, then you have these sort of protagonists in your story. And then the what question uh, starts putting in the furniture, so to speak. Um, And then um, you've got the why question is where they're headed. And the how is the process. um, And the where is how they are in relation to other people. Uh, So you can see that all these different questions um, fit together. And it turns out that when you think about it, um, these different questions really are the province of different kinds of, of psychology. So, you know, personality psychology is very interested in um, the, the who question. Yeah. And then you've got um, the systemic methods of, uh, or structural methods uh, thinking about where, where people are in relation to each other. And then you've got the, uh, the uh, sort of the functional analytic approach, which is the how, and the psychodynamic approach, which is, is sort of why, for what purpose. Um, and so, so it goes on. We can say that these different questions are almost like different dimensions. Mm. And if you put those dimensions together, um, then you can start creating maps because you can put... Uh, two dimensions together and you can get a uh, sort of um, something like a longitude and latitude kind of map yeah yeah I I think that sounds powerful because often I think the strength sometimes of a CBT longitudinal formulation is that it is quite simple but that's also its biggest weakness because while I think for a therapist it can be really comfortable and comforting to mm. see like oh, okay I've got my theory really clear it goes like this like this like this down the boxes yeah I think having been a client I did not enjoy that experience of having myself put into small into boxes. boxes yes um, that's right 
and I felt like there was a lot missing off the page yeah um and that it was invalidating I didn't I really didn't yeah. like that and I know that's not everybody's experience of course it isn't um but I think the idea of having even if you don't work on everything in the map because you know maybe that would take a long time no absolutely it's, you have to prioritize yeah but the acknowledgement that it's all there that it's a whole world it's not yeah. just a, a a short pathway yeah and and what happens once you've got these uh, dimensions is that you can start um making progress along them so the idea of um um for example uh, when i when i do my 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 map i use a hierarchy of needs yeah so the hierarchy of needs has got a sort of ordinal logic to it and at the basic basis of that hierarchy or that that sequence is the survival thing and uh, survival and health and of course the first thing you do when you've got somebody who's in extreme distress is you try and work out whether they're going to harm themselves or harm somebody else um, and then you move on to the next thing which would be something like um, do they have a support network that can keep them um, reasonably safe um, and uh, do they have you know enough control over their behavior so we can say that these um these dimensions uh suggest a sequence of of um an order of business um, um and and for me it's been very helpful to be able to map out a case and uh, show where people are on these various dimensions because i find that therapy for me can be very confusing as a therapist if the uh, if the client comes in and we were supposed to talk about their marriage and now that they're, they're going on about their work or uh, they've suddenly something something's happened and they're they're feeling unwell again physically um it's very difficult for me to think okay right drop what i was going to do let's do something different but if i look at my map and i find out on my map oh yes this is what it looks like uh, a sort of physiological level or this is what it looks like um, at the level of the relationships um, then I think okay yeah I can reorient myself a bit faster and and I can remember where I was so to speak so that's that's how the sort of software functions as a, as a map for me anyway yeah have you seen the movie Inside Out by any chance I have. I love Inside Out. It's yeah. such a great movie. They're going to actually um, make a new one, I think, where it's about um, um, this girl being a teenager, if I remember rightly. Oh, wow. It's going to be complicated. Yeah, it's going to be different islands and how maybe yeah. on the map you're sort of hopping between islands sometimes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And um, the way I think about it is that you know, we get given these protocols or get told these protocols that are very good um for depression or anxiety and um yes so long as you stick to the protocol it works and it's a bit like getting on a bus yeah so long as you stay on the bus and you just do cover all the stops you will eventually get to destination our, our problem is that our our clients get off the bus at the end of the session and they go on with their lives and um you come back to them and um, next week and they're in a completely different place mm. um and they can't get back on the bus um, because they're not uh, on that bus route anymore. Yeah. So there's a limitation to how these um, protocols work. Now, if you can have a map 
then you can say, okay, wherever you happen to be now, we need to uh, work out how you can get to a better place from here. And perhaps, you know, later you can go back on your protocol uh, if you like to, or we can do something different. So it's trying to be more, a bit more flexible. Gosh, take away some of that overwhelm when you feel like there's a hundred different things going on for this person and, and yeah, every yeah. session is a different. And how do I start? Um, and uh, how do I put everything in order? I had a client only um, earlier today who's very distressed and it was quite confusing her discussing what her problem was. And, um, and it, it was very reassuring to me um, that because she'd been to me several times before, that I was able to look at my little map and think, oh, yes, we need to talk about the mother, you know, or, um, or could this be something to do with um, her previous experience with so-and-so? So, um, yeah, that helps me, and um, hopefully it makes me a bit more um, systematic in my approach. Mm. So it strikes me like I I think it's amazing and innovative to have come up with a, a new approach to therapy and develop that through your work. Yeah. Um, but I can see how your years of experience kind of allowed you to do that. <laughs> the leap into software. Now that's, yes. that's a giant leap. How well, it's a, it, well, basically, I started um, wanting to to create some software to to store my notes. And I did it in, in Microsoft Access first. And then I got a, 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 um, a programmer to convert it into web software because I wanted to make it available to other people. Um, but um, unfortunately, that has taken, we've now got it more or less ready. It's taken about five years. Um, I've been using it through its various different iterations. So I've now got about 9,000 hours of, um, yeah, I think something like that, 9,000 uh, hours of, of clients in um sort of mapped out um but uh it's it's been it's been a bit of a nightmare um, <laughs> um to put it bluntly i think uh, the first estimate that it would take uh, 12 weeks and twenty thousand quid and um five years and a hundred hundred and twenty thousand pounds later um i have got something which i'm using and uh, which works up to a point. Um, what I need to do, though, is um, is add some extra modules to it. So we've got the, the basic map, and I can. It takes notes. Well, I, I write down my notes, and the machine um, reads the notes and uh, tags the uh, the notes, and then puts the tags in my map, basically. And then you you click on the word in the map and it shows you what the note was, basically. Um, so I've done that bit. Um, and what we're also wanting to do is, is to be able to pipe in some questionnaires. So that puts more data in because a lot of people don't really like taking notes as, as therapists. So unfortunately, this software does require information. Uh, otherwise, it doesn't work. And um, because therapists don't like taking notes or um, it's... We need to get some, find some way of getting the information in there. And the other way of doing it is through uh, questionnaires, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, or, or actually, you can, if you can get a client to, um, to keep a journal, 
you can just sort of cut and paste uh, the journal, if they type it anyway, um, they can uh, put it in there. And then uh, that gets processed, produces the map. And then what we need to do is link in to all the, uh, all the therapies out there. Uh, that's the, one of the exciting bits because it's what I'm saying is it's a bit like um, I would aspire for it to be Google Maps for mental health. That's what I want. Um, I want to be able to see where people are, where they're going, and not just where they are, but where the various resources are. So if you're on Google Maps and your car's running out of petrol, uh, you look on Google Maps and there is a petrol station. Um, and what I would like to be able to do is to look on the map and say, okay, this person's got this problem. What are the things that work for that problem? Yeah. Mm. And have mapped out where all the all the therapies, all the different techniques are, and uh, you know, all the knowledge that we need. Uh, we've got you know millions, literally millions of articles in psychology. Yeah. But how am I supposed to read all this stuff and know it? I just need that one piece of information that's going to help my client now. And I need to be able to get to it without actually having to plow through the latest journal of behavioral and cognitive psychotherapy. Yeah. That and would be so useful. So it's all solving two problems. So it's kind of a case formulation tool on the one hand. Yeah. But also what you're aiming for it to become is like a compendium that gives you the knowledge that you need when you need it. Yeah. Yeah. And not to overwhelm people. I mean, mm. One of the things I've discovered is that, since I've used this tool, is that there's so much more information than we actually use. We hear torrents of information coming from our, our clients, but if we're just using Janet Person's um, uh, cognitive behavioral formulation diagram, we've boiled it down to about 1% or 2%, perhaps 5% of the information we've received. Mm. Uh, so there's a hell of a lot of information. We need to be able to have that information but not so it overwhelms us and then it would be really nice to have information on what to do about the problem uh, in the same location again in a way that didn't overwhelm yeah mm. and it would be even better this is where i'm a aiming for ultimately is to get the computer and uh, ai machine learning and everything else like that to plow through the information find out what has worked with previous clients and um and 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 help help me out and say you know for your particular client um given the fact that they've got xyz problem um these are the things which seem to have worked and these are the things which previous clients said were useless yeah so don't bother with those and mm -hmm. um, that's what that's what i would love and uh, and actually, this brings us back to my original. What's kicked this off was, I in 1992, I decided that what I would really like to do is create an expert system to integrate all the psychotherapies in the world. And it's a mad and um, what's the word uh, hubristic um, enterprise, uh, but it's been very interesting, and um, it gives me something to care about so um so that's why i'm doing it and pretty much all of the best game-changing innovations seemed mad and hubristic to start with didn't they yeah and <laughs> i think you 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 take on a big problem and then you try and um 
turn it into chunks that are doable. And we've done the first bit, actually. I've produced the map. It's working. And um, I think it's helping my clients. I think my clients, um, I was worried that they might be a bit phased by the map. But um, by and large, they're not too freaked out by it. Um, I don't tend to show it to them much, but uh, when I do show show it, they can sort of see the point. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we've got the map, and we need to do the other bits. And uh, and um, well, I hope to get there eventually. Or if not, I'll have an interesting time trying. So, um, <laughs> so that's the idea. So, yeah. I mean, I, I want to ask you about your next step with the software because I know that you're you're kind of looking for people to help you out with yeah. feedback and, and that. Well, basically, I've been sitting in my shed, so to speak, uh, doing my, my thing, and I'm wanting to come out of my shed now, and I need to talk to other people. Mm. So if anybody's, if you've ever gone to one of these entrepreneur courses, uh, they tell you, that you don't want to sit in your shed and build something that you just you want. You need to build something that everybody else wants as well. Um, I've built something that I like and that I want, uh, but now I need to ask people whether they want it or if they want something different, what it is that they want and whether I can build that. Um, mm-hmm. That's on the software side of things. But on the other side of things, there's a sort of whole lot of thinking that needs to be done about the journey building um, concept um and uh, and that sounds more like a kind of seminar workshoppy kind of thing um so that we could build something together it might turn out to be a kind of community project i'm not quite certain how it would work i'm supposed to be um writing a book about this um soon uh, which hopefully will give an outline you know a short book perhaps to sort of introduce the idea um but this is obviously bigger than one person, this whole idea. And, uh, and so uh, I suppose I, I need, to, I need to, to make it available to people. And, um, and, and hopefully uh, their energy and other people's energy and involvement will get it uh, further than I could get it by myself, really. Well, I'm a big believer in that. I mean, that's the whole purpose of the Do More Than Therapy membership. Yeah, I hope can create these things on our own yes um, but if we want to have that impact i think we absolutely need to work together and do some of that thinking i mean imagine there's tons of theoretical ethical practical stuff yes there's massive on it doesn't it yeah it does i mean and and we have to set up structures i think for it's great what you've done with dmtt because i think um Having um, a, a forum where people can meet visually um, and share threads, et cetera, et cetera, share ideas is, is great for getting people talking and having ideas together. Um, and then you know, if, if when it comes to software, um, then it's a question of funding. And then when, where funding comes in, um, then there's a question of ownership and... Um, and then there's a question of, you know, um, <laughs> markets, um, who, who's going to buy this thing, uh, who's going to use it, all that kind of stuff. Um, so we start talking in, about, in a more sort of com- commercial kind of entrepreneurial kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I'm suspecting that the journey building thing is more like a, 
a colloquium, really. But I'm not sure. Anyway, I'd be interested if your listeners want to get in touch um, and uh, and suggest ways forward, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like something I know a lot of people listening to this will have an opinion on and be excited by. Mm. Um, so the approach is called journey building. Yeah. Um, where's the best place for people to find you? Well, um, I've got my old website, which is easy to remember, which is jeremyslaughter.com. So that's me as the sole operator. And then um, I recently started a firm um, where, where I'm going to be building a group of associates who are going to work with this method. And that's called kipapa.co.uk. That's K-I-P-A-P-A.co.uk. K-I-P-A-P-A. Yeah. And basically kipapa means it's apparently Hawaiian slang for a way of surfing where you ride the wave all the way to the beach. Oh, cool. um, yeah. So the idea is that we pick up our clients when they're in a trough. We teach them to surf life's waves. We take them to the beach where they party and we help them to party, <laughs> basically. I'd and, sign up for that. Sounds great. Yeah. And, then, and then when they, basically when people have had enough of therapy, uh, when the people have sort of recovered from depression and anxiety, um, they're, they just want to get on with their lives, yeah? They're not interested in doing further personal development, in my experience. And so uh, what they really want to do is discover what they like and get on and have some fun, yeah? So there's a lot of positive psychology work to be done in that area. Mm. And then, of course, when people have partied enough and uh, they've had a bit of fun, and then they start thinking, well, what do I want to do with my life, yeah? So um, then they want to sort of start climbing their personal mountain, yeah? So it's a sort of three-stage process. Um, you get the, the clinical psychology, the positive psychology, and the coaching psychology. So that's what I'm doing with the, with the business. And, uh, um, yeah. That sounds really exciting. And I, I think we've got so many good ideas coming out of this podcast. Cool. I feel really enthusiastic Thank for you. any part that um, Do More Than Therapy can play. Yeah, in- well, I'm hoping that I'm, I'm going to be working with you in future to, to – uh, to build this okay, idea nice up and uh, bye bye now and and listen to what people have to say and and what they could contribute yeah absolutely and of course um any members listening to this the yeah. best place to find jeremy jeremy is in slack yes absolutely <laughs> um and obviously at peer supervision sessions as well hopefully yeah absolutely and i'm hoping to advertise on dmtt a um a kind of seminar an introductory seminar colloquium talk kind of thing um, where we could chat about these ideas and um, see what people are interested in really yeah that'd be fantastic Uh, let me know before you post anything and I'll make sure it gets pinned to the top so that everybody sees it okay great well uh, thanks Rosie it's been great talking to you yeah you too thank you and uh, this is my first podcast I think very good job um for the listeners if something goes wrong we clap so that we can edit it out we have not had to clap not even once in this oh event. that's great okay well, i haven't <laughs> used any rude words i better not start now okay all right thanks Bye. very much jeremy planning on launching something new hoping to reach more people and build a business that lets you live your values while avoiding burnout then you need to download my cheat sheet 14 Steps to a Simple Launch. 
It's a foolproof process to make sure you develop your project with the people you want to help and then get it in front of as many of them as possible. It's totally free and you can find it at psychologist.drosie.co.uk. I'll put the link in the show notes.